0: Log Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. You are now live with the Word on Wednesday. And we have a wonderful lesson once again uh, for you tonight. We want to continue our study that's entitled The Crisis at Corinth. And just to kind of bring you up to speed before we have prayer. If you remember when we first set out to to, to teach uh, this particular letter, we made some statements and one of the statements that we made was that Corinth is a real situation with real people who have real issues. And the problem was that you were merging a lot of different people from different cultures and backgrounds uh, and different sinful habits into one body. And so what we have here is we have the outworkings of all of these cultural and religious clashes coming together. And we further stated when we first started this um, this study that we face similar Challenges today. Um, the other thing that we talked about in our introductory uh, class was that this was a book of issues, and there were specific issues that we would that Paul will address. Hey, how you doing, Allah? Um, That there were specific issues that Paul would address, and so for the last four or five weeks, uh, we've been addressing one of those issues. And that issue specifically was what causes, what is causing the division at Corinth? And we've been relating it to what causes division within the church today. And so we we focused in on the flesh, how, you know, we're just carnal. We also focused in on man following, and then we also talked about them not understanding uh, baptism and what baptism actually meant. And, and so we talked about those issues. And tonight in chapter 4, what he does is he is going to bring that particular point of the argument to conclusion. So chapter 4 will basically give his therefore to chapters 2 and 3, actually chapters 1, 2, and 3 closing off the issue of division and setting us up for uh, chapter 5, which deals with um, immorality. So we'll be moving off of division uh, after tonight, and next week we'll deal with immorality within the body of Christ. So kind of catches us up because, I mean, this is a very, very meaty letter that he's written, and uh, so every now and then we can lose our focus. I just wanted to do something tonight to kind of just drag us back and, and make us focus on what the topic is. And the topic tonight is still division, and we're going to summarize that, okay? So now what we want to do is we want to have a brief word of prayer, and, then we'll, and open up your Bibles as we're praying to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll dive right in from there. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, we come to you as usual on Wednesday night asking for your guidance. Not only for your guidance, but for your presence. We ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight, that your spirit would come into each of our homes, into each of our hearts, and that you would lead us and guide us. God, how we need you tonight. We need to understand your word that we might be pleasing in you, into you. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And if you don't show up, we're going to be in darkness. But God, you are light. And so we ask for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be reading from the NIV as usual. And so uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And it reads, so then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At this time, each will receive his praise from God. Let's go back now. Okay, so he starts out, In in verse 1 of of chapter 4 saying, so then, now that so then connects us back into the argument that he was making in chapter 3 concerning how a man is to be viewed. And in chapter 3, he says to them, he says, in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, what, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? And what does he say? Only servants. So, what he's trying to get them to do is he's trying to get them to see them as servants and fellow workers with God. He's, say, he's saying, look, guys, you're following after a man. And you're treating that man as if he is the authority, as if he is your Lord. And what the reality is this. We who have been sent to build you up are nothing but servants. And he makes that argument so masterfully in the last chapter where he says uh, we're builders, we're, we're farmers. We're servants. We're sent to serve. And so then he, he wraps it up in chapter 4 by saying, look at us not as deities, not as some, something, some people who lord things over you, but look at us as servants. And that's the one thing that, 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 that or as stewards. And that's the one thing that, that we're missing today. When we look at men and women of God, sometimes we are in awe of the things that God does through those those people, and because as pastors and as apostles and as teachers, you know, because they have a large following, we have a tendency to say, Oh, they're somebody. When the reality is that no, they are not sent for you to serve. They are sent to serve you. And how are they to serve you? To build you up. They're sent to help you grow. They're sent to help you understand how, who you are in Christ and what the impact of Christ is on your life. That's what they're sent for. They're sent to lead you into the Word of God. They're sent to lead you into the presence of God so God can get the praise. You know, a lot of times we, we're so busy praising the, the men and women that God send us that we don't spend the time uh, praising God. We spend more time bragging about our pastor and our church than we do bragging about Jesus. And this is the trap that, 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 that the Corinthians have fallen into, and Paul is saying, no, you're looking at things the wrong way. And so, you know, when he talks about that servant, that, 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 that servant row, when you look at that Greek word, it means that uh, it, it means properly a rower, an under rower, a man who mans the oars on a lower deck it 's a subordinate who is executing official orders. Now let me take you back to the uh, easiest way to do it. go back to the Vikings. Remember we used to watch those pictures. Of uh, the Vikings and, and how they would be on those big old ships, and they had the slaves and the lowly people down there just rowing the boat, and the captain is up there, and he's giving, and he's giving the orders as to which way they go and how fast. You know, he wants them rowing, and then you had that guy down there with the whip slapping that whip saying, row harder, row harder, row faster, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what Paul is doing is he's drawing this picture, and he says, we're just people down there rowing the boat. We're not steering the boat. We're here serving to get to a uh, and to, to a place that that we need to get to. We are rowers. We're in the bottom of the ship. That's what that's the picture that he that he's drawing for them. And then he says that if it says it says. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. When you look at that same passage in um, the NASB as well as the um, uh, the King James version and the English Standard version, it reads that they're stewards that we are stewards that that God has taken pastors and those and, and, and teachers and preachers and the apostles, and he says, we are those who have, are stewards of the word of God. And a steward is a person who is a manager of a household. He has, he's a slave who has been released to manage a household. And what Paul is drawing the picture there, because he uses a lot of metaphors here, he's drawing a picture saying, look, we're just servants who have been entrusted with the precious things of God, and we are required to do the, what the master's bidding with those things. And it says, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove to be faithful. I'll show you something. Turn over to Matthew 25. Turn over there real quick with me. Because this is, this is, you know, sometimes... We assume that people know stuff, and they don't. They don't really know it, and so I have to take the time to, you know, just really get into some things. It says, uh, Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse fourteen. Go there. Let me show you what the stewardship thing is all about. It says, again, it will be, and he's referring to what is the kingdom of heaven like. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. "'Master,' he said, "'you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more.' His master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness.' The man with two talents also said, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I received it, I could have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who will have an abundance, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what Paul is showing is he says, look, look. I've been entrusted with something, and I'm not going to be like that wicked servant. I must do the will of he who sent me. So when he's saying that we are servants and we are stewards, he's also saying to them, we got a job to do. We got a boat to row. We got a kingdom to advance, and that's what we are responsible for doing. And I've got to do that. Let's keep going. And then when he says, verse 3, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge, not, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. What he's saying is, I'm not aware of anything that I've done wrong, but just because I don't know that I've done anything wrong doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not guilty of something. I'm not saying that about myself. But I'm not going to judge before the time. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to judge, and I'm telling you, you shouldn't judge because you do not know the motives of a man's heart. You are not, you can't pick a a leader or or say this is about a man. And we see that every day. We see that every day. Remember, go back into the scriptures, and remember when David was anointed to be king, when, when, when uh, Samuel came looking, and he looked up and he saw David, um, uh, David's brother and said, that's the one, and then uh, all the brothers were paraded in front of him, and none of them were there, and what did God say? He said, you know what, you're judging on the outward appearance, but I judge by the heart. I know what's inside of man. And so what Paul is saying is, look, the decisions that you've made as to who to follow are wrong because you're making them the wrong way. You're following a man, and you're not following God. And what I want you to do is I want you to stop judging people. I want you to start trying to distinguish what is good in a man and what is bad in a man that makes you praise man over God. You need to stop doing that. And don't even do it to me. Even though I don't know nothing bad about myself, I know there's something bad about me, but I'm going to let God do that. Amen? And so when God comes, who is the righteous judge, he is the righteous judge, let him judge. Psalms 139 verse 4 says it. Remember when we were young and and we used to hear the deacons pray, uh, search my heart, search and research me, and if there's anything that you find in me that is not like you to remove it. Remember those old prayers that the deacons used to pray? Well, they were grounded in uh, Psalms 139. Turn over to Psalm 139 real quick. just Just a real quick piece of it. Just a real quick piece. We're making good time tonight. Making good time tonight. Psalms 139. Let's look at it real quick. Because it's one of the things that Jesus tells us is to judge not that ye be not judged. And he's basically saying, you ain't qualified to do that. You're not qualified to do that at all. Look at Psalms 139. I'm getting there. I know you guys got y'all fancy little apparatus and y'all could just punch a button. But this old preacher right here, he kind of likes the, this paper. It's Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know where I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Can you see that? Depths of God's knowledge concerning us. You see, that's what this is, is. That's what David is saying in this song. He said, "God, you know everything there is about me." And if we if we kept going, and I, I really, I really don't want to go, but I, I I I like this part too. It says, "You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me." Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then this is the pretty part of this psalm to me. I mean, it's, it's obvious that God knows everything about it. But then he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there. Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I've got to stop right there. I've got to stop right there because that's one of those psalms that, that is so reassuring to me. But not only is it reassuring, it lets me know that there is nothing about me. There's nothing about us that's hidden from God. And so when he says he'll judge the motives of our heart, He's basically saying to to, to the Corinthians, look, God knows who I am. God knows who Apollos is. God knows who every last one of us are, and he knows why we do what we do. He knows those who are with him, and he knows those who are trying to use him to get what they want, and those who are using him to manipulate you. So don't, you know, Don't follow after man. Follow Christ. And again, go back to when he says, I thank God that I didn't baptize anybody. He said, follow the one who you're supposed to be representing, the one whose name you were baptized into. That's who you follow. Regard the rest of us as nothing but servants. Okay, keep going, Winfrey. Come on now. And let me keep going. Now, brothers, I'm at verse 6. Uh, I'm at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Stop right there. So in that passage right there, what he's saying, and this is the key to everything. There's one line in here that is the summation of everything that he's saying, and that line is, do not go beyond what is written. Now, that's a perplexing line because we think, hmm, so now what he's quoting something there is he quoting the Old Testament, well, no, he's not quoting the Old Testament there. There are some Old Testament um, uh, concepts in, that, that, that he is uh, putting together here, but he's not quoting a specific passage of Scripture. And what he's trying to say to you uh, or to us or to the Corinthians at that time is this, that, look, don't go beyond the revelation of God in this situation, and what I have revealed to you, according to the scriptures, is this, that these men are servants. That's right. That's, that's what it all. These men are servants, and then he goes back to the examples that he's given. Look, because again, this ties back. Look at three five. What does he say at, at verse 3 and 5? He says, we are ministers and servants. At three nine, we are God's Fellow workers, at 3:10 through 16, we are expert builders sent to assist in building His temple, and you are His temple. And, and 4 one, what does he say? We regard us as servants, entrusted with the things of God, with the secrets of God. So don't go beyond that. That's how you want to view us. Don't go putting us up on some pedestal. And and making us and putting putting men up there making them seem like they some they all mister such a much or Mister such a much. No, we are no more than servants, co-workers, builders sent here to do a job by Christ. That's that's what that line means. And that's the summary of his argument. Now keep going. Then he says, So wait a minute, hold it. And by the way, why y'all doing all this stuff? Uh What are y'all so proud of? Because in the the, uh, NASB and the King James, he says, so you won't take pride. So you won't get to saying saying stuff like, my pastor is the best pastor in the world, and your pastor ain't this, and because I'm a member of this church right here, that makes me better than somebody else. So you get all puffed up. Pride is the process of being puffed up, walking with your head up high on a faulty assumption and the assumption that you make that gets your head and gets your nose all out of joint is that because you are a member of a particular church or that your pastor is a particular individual, that makes you more than you are. No. All of us are the same. All of us are the same. All of us who are pastors or or all of us who follow a pastor or who are, are being taught by a pastor or apostles or whatever title they happen to have, all of us are nothing but servants that's it, and that's what he's that that's his argument that's his argument right there so don't get to don't don't get to me thinking you missed a such a much because you made somebody miss apostle such a much no 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 that's how we could bring about division because you think your pastor the greatest thing since sliced bread. I might think my pastor the greatest thing says peanut butter and jelly, and you put it all together and then we arguing over nothing. No, it ain't nothing but servants. That's all we are, is servants, period. In the conversation, anything that we do is by the power of God. We, and so we ain't got nothing to brag about. They ain't got nothing to brag about because when God switch, flipped, uh, flipped that power switch on, we go. We go. But we're going by his power. And when he flipped the switch off, we're nothing but an inanimate object. Amen? Already, verse 8, I'm going to try to finish this tonight. Let me see what my time looks like. It says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings. And that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. Now he's being sarcastic. Now he's really he's really being sarcastic here. He said, "Y'all think y'all so much y'all you think you're kings now, nah, huh? Okay, and you're doing it without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe." to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. I am not writing this to your shame, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me for this reason. I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Let me stop right there. So after he goes past the part through verse 13, where he's poking fun at him and saying, so you think you're Mr. Such a much, huh? Yeah, right. And you think we're so little. Yeah, right. And then he says, I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm writing this to warn you that this person that you're dismissing, this person that you're dissing, I'm the one that God sent to bring you into the kingdom of God. He says, and I love you. And as a father, I'm going to send Timothy to you. So he can make sure that you really understand the things of God. And then he says, verse 18, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And Then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip? Or in love and with a gentle spirit. Now, what's he saying here? He said, first of all, all you, all all these guys coming with is a whole lot of talk. They coming with you a whole lot of words, a whole lot of theories. But if they are really kingdom sent, then they're coming with dudamus. They're coming with power. They're coming with signs and wonders. Their, their voice will, will change things because when the word of God goes forth and God sends his spirit with it, that word, which he does, then it's going to accomplish something. It's going to change something. Things are going to move. It is not going to be of confusion, but instead it's going to cause unity to come. Healing comes with it. Because where the spirit of, when the Spirit of God comes and there is fruit from what he has sown, you're not going to get that, that, uh, that junk, that fleshly stuff, but instead you're going to get the fruit. So if there's no power with the word, then it's nothing but talk. And these folks that, that's running around here, that some of them that you're running behind, they're talking loud and saying nothing. Right now in the, in the kingdom, right now, we have a lot of people that's running around doing a whole lot of talking, and they're real clever with words. They have nice phrases that sound good and tickle the imagination. But after they finish talking, then what? Have your lives been changed or changed, or are you just entertained? Did you? I mean, because if, that's what the, if it's entertainment, turn the TV on. Don't waste your gas money going to church. Just sit right in your house and watch professional entertainment on TV. But if you're looking for a life-changing experience, then you get under somebody who is full of the Spirit and who is teaching and preaching the Word of God, and you'll see the kingdom come in your life. And then finally, verse 20, or verse 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip? or in love and with a gentle spirit. He goes back to the motif of a father, and he's saying, as your father in Christ, do you want me to come with discipline, or do you want me to come in love? Do you want me to bring that rod of correction, so I've got to come in here, and we got to wrestle to get you in line, or can you get yourself in line, and I can come, when I come, we could just fellowship with one another in the spirit and with love. That's how he leaves the chapter. And so he's giving them a choice. Are you going to continue to be in division or are you going to change your focus away from man and put your focus on Jesus Christ and accomplish his mission? Or are you going to get caught up in worldly wisdom? It's your choice. Even in the church of God today as we close tonight, we have a choice. We can begin to redouble and refocus ourselves on kingdom-building activities, the things that Christ has told us to do, reaching this lost world, or We can get caught up in factions and division. It's up to us. And when our Father comes for us and he exposes the motives of our heart, what will he find? Will he have to correct us? Or are we like somebody I know who can... Uh, All you have to do is tell me that I will check myself. Thank you very much. I will repent, and I'll get myself together. Mm -hmm. I'm following Jesus. Forget all that other stuff. Division is is, uh, really uh, something that we have to pay attention to because it not only infects us in the church, it infects us in our jobs, it infects us in our homes, it infects our relationships. The will of God is that we be one, that we be one. There's no argument in the Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are in agreement. And when Jesus prayed, he prayed that we would be one, just like he and the Father were one. My prayer tonight is for oneness within the body of Christ. My prayer is for oneness within the home, oneness in marriage, oneness in relationship, that this division can be dispelled and that Satan is no longer allowed to, to to divide us, but that we come together to do the will of the Lord. That's how we avoid the trap that they fell into in Corinth. And if we've fallen into the trap which we have, we already know how to get out. We repent. We repent. We confess our sins before God. We confess them to one another and we turn and follow the ways of the Lord. Amen? Okay. So I'm a few minutes over but that's all right. We finished the chapter tonight. We'll be in chapter 5 next week. What I want you to do is if you've got questions put them up on the screen. If uh, you are on Blog Talk Radio, 929 477 Let's have a word of prayer. I'll answer any questions that you put up on the screen, and then we'll call it a night. Amen? Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name we come. Father, we would that you not come with a rod, but that you come in a spirit of gentleness and love. Father, we realize that we have participated in activities that have led us to division. And tonight, God, we repent of that. We repent of being puffed up and and following different worldly philosophies and worldly people and stuff that we saw on TV and stuff that tickled our fancy and didn't focus in on what you sent us to do. We repent of that right now. We repent of the fact that we haven't loved like we should love. That we've let doctrinal differences separate us from our brothers and sisters. That we have been used as instruments to rip apart your body. We repent of it right now, God. And we turn asking you for forgiveness. And we turn asking for your mercy. We turn asking for your grace. We turn to you, O God, for instruction. God, how we need you. We thank you that you know us. And that our behavior comes as no surprise to you. But that you've just been waiting for us to come and fall before you. That you could heal us from our sins. We bless your name tonight, oh God. God, you've said you're going to bring healing to the body. And that you're going to correct it. Begin with us. Begin with us. Let our light shine in such a manner that others would see and be drawn to you and drawn to your way of love versus the way of fighting and stabbing and arguing and all the other kind of stuff that goes on in churches throughout the land. Let us be vessels of peace, of your peace, instruments of your love and your joy. Instruments of restoration. Help us, oh God. God, we don't need the crisis. We need you. So we ask this in Jesus' name, knowing that if we asked you for anything, that you'll give it to us. And so in Jesus' name, we ask for this. Okay, so there is no questions out there. Okay, and I didn't get anything there, so um, we'll call it a night. We'll call it a night. Next week, uh, we'll be in Chapter 5, and then the following week, that's our Christmas week, I believe it is, so we won't be on that week, but next week we will. We got got Bible study next week, so y'all be there, and y'all just have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Pray for us. And we'll continue to pray for you. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you have been with the Word on Wednesday. Have a great evening. Good night.